0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll chat with the CEO of the Manitoba Farmer Wellness Program, Jerry Friesen. Also, we'll get an update on insects here in the province. And uh, first, in today's country comment, David Kaminsky with Manitoba Agriculture will stop by to talk about crop diseases. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Joining us now is Manitoba Agriculture's David Kaminsky to talk about crop diseases. There are
1: a number of things. One of the things that I wrote about in the crop test update was uh, crown rust on oats. I don't know if we've talked about that before, maybe we have. And I kind of didn't think it was going to be a big deal this year. Um, The reports down in the... Red River Valley have been uh, very slight, uh, but I came across some fields last week or they were identified by uh, one of our field agronomists of some souris oats near the RM of surus, and they were badly infested with brown rust. So that's a variety that is fully susceptible to the disease and I guess once it get started early enough, uh, it really goes to town. If you're scouting your fields at this time, walking through them especially, um, and there was ground rest there, you would notice that you've got orange on, your, on the knees of your trousers when you come out of the field. It kind of looks like uh, cheesy dust. And uh, if you get down and look at the crop, you'll see the characteristic yellowy orange pustules on the leaves and when you rub those with your fingers uh, that same same residue comes off those are a spore stage which can uh, have secondary cycling within the crop so that's the one that can uh, make things got to worse
0: in a hurry the other thing that was highlighted um downy mildew in uh, field peas talk about you know where that was where that was seen and and um concerns there
1: on the eastern part of the province, I think around Beausjour, and uh, to my mind that one is a bit more of an oddity than uh, something that would have broad application. Um, I had seen it before when I worked in Alberta, but have never seen it in Manitoba to date, and uh, it's a fairly significant incidence in the field. Again, that was identified by an agronomist uh, one with the Manitoba pulse growers, and she let me know about it. I talked to the grower, and there were a couple of things that uh, may have led to that higher incidence of downy mildew in that crop. One, it was uh, farm saved seed, and downy mildew can be seed-borne, highly seed-borne. And the other thing is it was planted untreated. Um, there are seed treatment fungicides especially those that contain the active ingredient metal axle that can be effective against uh, downy mildew in peas. So um, I think the jury's out on that crop, how much damage it will do. Uh, there are really no economic thresholds established. Um, the crop had been sprayed with a fungicide at the early bloom stage, and the producer was kind of debating whether or not to go with another fungicide application this late in the year.
0: All right. Anything else that uh, farmers should be um, looking for right now? or?
1: Well, I guess uh, maybe they should be doing what we're doing right now, which is uh, surveying cereal crops to see how much fusarium headlight there might be out there. So far, we haven't found high levels anywhere. Um,
2: and the other thing is, to look at your canola crops and see what the impact
1: of sclerotinia might have been um, in the sprayed or unsprayed condition. The factors favoring that disease have been more pronounced than they have been for a number of years.
0: That was David Kaminsky with Manitoba Agriculture. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Knute. With the high commodity prices over the last year or so, the idea of making a budget has been lost on many farmers. Farm President Brian Voth talked about the importance of sitting down and making a budget.
3: So the problem is if farms were making these decisions and doing this because it made sense only the way things looked in the last year, these are the decisions that end up, being the detriment of farms longer term because they can't cash flow they can't they can't live with the decisions they made when things were really good when things go back to normal or back to average whatever you want to call it and so that's to me the biggest thing about making a budget is budgets don't lie numbers don't lie if your budget says x that's what you go off it doesn't matter how you feel about it this is math this is numbers this is how it is and that to me is the guiding principle on how how farms should be looking at things and making decisions from a marketing perspective.
0: And Japan is the kingpin of markets for Canadian food-grade soybeans. That according to Sandy Hart, general manager of Savita International. Our
4: customers, uh, our largest largest uses for for tofu. So tofu is a is a staple food in uh, in Japan for sure. We've got many varieties that are well suited to uh, to tofu production that perform well here in Canada. Um, the second biggest use is, uh, is soy milk. So a lot of um, a lot of school lunches, um, a lot of a uh, lot of uh, soy milk is uh, is drank in the home. Um, we have varieties that are suitable for that type of production as well. Um, that encompasses maybe two thirds or seventy percent of what Savita soybeans are used for. Um, beyond that, you have more special products like natto um, more generic products like miso um, and that that pretty much gets you the full spectrum of the uh, of the end use for food grade beans
0: that was a look at today's farm news i'm Corey Canute. good afternoon and welcome to the prairie Eggwire for monday august 15th i'm Corey canute coming up today we'll get an insect update from manitoba agriculture entomologist john Gavloski. Joining us now is Manitoba agriculture entomologist John Gawlowski with an insect update. So we're seeing
2: aphids in several crops right now. In peas, the problem is more or less finishing up because the peas are quite susceptible when the pods are still elongating. But once most of the pods have elongated, the pea crop is no longer as susceptible. And so most of the, the pea fields now are getting to the point where uh, they're not, not quite as susceptible to the, the pea aphids. Now, there's different species of aphids, and some just blow in from the south, and we get them in different crops, different years. Um, there's a couple species in the small grain cereals, your wheat, your oats, your barley, that are issues in some areas. Uh, the two main ones are English grain aphid and oat bird cherry aphid. Both species that blow in and they're at economic levels in some fields, so there's a bit of insecticide applications going on for them. Uh, They're a bit different in the way they feed. English grain aphid likes to cluster in the heads and around the grain. Uh, The oat bird cherry aphid, they tend to like to be on the stem or some of the lower leaves, so people have to look carefully when they're looking for these. On the positive side, there's some uh, natural enemies starting to show up in some of the fields as well. So just something else to factor in when you're trying to make a decision, do you need to manage them or not?
0: What about uh, grasshoppers? And grasshoppers,
2: uh, they're starting to move around right now. Uh, they, They like to feed on things that are lush and green. And this time of year, a lot of the crops that they're in are starting to dry down and mature. So that gets them moving or... If ditches are cut or there's less vegetation in some of the naturalized areas, they will also move looking for greener things to feed on. So they are are moving around, and we're just encouraging people, just watch your crops and where they're moving. Uh, In some cases, people may want to do um, an edge treatment around the edge of their field. If if it's uh, looking like there's a lot starting to move in, Sometimes they will stay in some of the more naturalized areas, the ditches and areas like that, but just something to keep an eye
0: on. And farmers um, farmers have been spraying for aphids and uh, ligus bugs? Yes. Now,
2: uh, aphids, one that I didn't mention was soybean aphid. And in particularly in the eastern region and the eastern part of the central region around Carmen here, um, there's been some spraying for soybean aphids. Now, they're quite different than some of the other aphids I talked about. Um, I mentioned how the English green aphid likes to cluster in the heads. The pea aphid, it likes to cluster on the um, flowers and young pods. Soybean aphids will spread themselves out on the plant a bit more. They like to feed more on the leaves. Um, So because of that, there's a very high threshold for aphids and soybeans, What we're recommending is a threshold of 250 aphids per plant on average, and the population still increasing, and plants in the beginning bloom to beginning seed stage. So it's a very high threshold. One of the questions that I've been asked a few times is because the soybeans are of uh, greater value this year than in some previous years, should we lower that threshold? And our short answer to that is no. Um, And the reason for that, the amount of aphids that it takes to actually equal the the cost that you put out with your insecticide and application costs is actually about 670 aphids per plant, so a very high level. That's called our economic injury level. And we've set our threshold well below that economic injury level. So um, because there's that big gap go with that 250 per plant it doesn't make logical sense to be trying to lower it below that
0: all right any other uh, concerns right now john or?
2: those are the main ones the aphids the grasshoppers uh th- there's been a little bit of spraying for ligus bug in the northwest but it's, ligus levels overall aren't great this year um in some of the canola fields they are actually hard to find, so it, it does vary quite a
0: bit. That was John Gavlosky, entomologist with Manitoba Agriculture. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire Wire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Ag Wire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The Canadian Wildlife Federation is offering a webinar on Canada's 10 Most Invasive Plants. That takes place August 30th from noon until 1pm. Register on the Canadian Wildlife Federation website. Fall on the Farm takes place at the Mennonite Heritage Village in Steinbach September 5th and the Cultivate Sustainability Conference and Trade Show is planned for September 7th at the RBC Convention Centre in Winnipeg. You can register at foodbeveragesmb.ca. Continuing with the matter- Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Monday afternoon. Joining us now is Jerry Friesen, CAO of the Manitoba Farmer Wellness Program.
5: We've been very excited with the way things went. Our focus initially, of course, was on fundraising. Uh, That went much better than we had expected. And then we've now changed our focus to building awareness to make sure that every farmer and their family knows that this program is available for them in Manitoba uh, the uptake has been—I I think I could call it—steady. Uh, we're really expecting that in fall, uh, once the busy season is over a little bit more, that that there will be even more uptake, and so we're pleased with the way it's going.
0: How many counselors do you have uh, working with with the program?
5: We have four counselors: Corey, one in Steinbach, one in Winkler, one in Brandon, and one in the Strathclair area. Now having said that uh, we we have a, we leave it open for people that are interested in counseling to go to our website uh, pick a counselor up there choosing uh, you know some some appointments are in person some are being done by telephone and others are being done virtually so there's different modes of, uh, of being able to, to service our clientele.
0: Jerry, just talk a little bit about the, the need for this program. You know, Corey, uh,
5: and, and, and this program in particular started because we felt there was a gap in services available. We have, since 2000, I believe it is, had a farm and rural stress line in Manitoba. That's, that's kind of more of a crisis, uh, crisis line, so when someone's in crisis, they can call in. And we felt it was important, and this, based on what we had seen in other jurisdictions, felt it was important that we provided that another step uh, and provide, uh, this program provides for six free counseling sessions for per individual. Uh, that gives them a little bit more, you know, you, and I speak from personal experience here. When I was farming and went through a significant down period, being diagnosed with anxiety and depression, yeah, stress lines are good. Uh, we have a lot of professionals out there, but the other piece that we found is missing is that many of these professionals aren't that familiar with agriculture and how unique agriculture is, and, and it takes an understanding to be able to provide that that help uh, with, with an understanding of what, what the clients are going through.
0: I attended the um, Thanks for Farming tour recently in Winkler and, um, you know, mental health was a was a big f- focus there. Um, do you find um, more farmers are open to talking about mental health? That, you know, it's something that's becoming more, more acceptable?
5: Oh, absolutely it is. And I'd like to give a big shout out to Thunderstruck who put on this Thanks for Farming tour. Uh, I attended as well that one day in Winkler. I appreciate that focus on mental health. And it's because of events such as that um, that that there is more awareness, that people are more open to talk about it. I know that when I first started talking about my own journey back in 2010, there was a lot of hesitation on people's parts to actually engage in that conversation uh, through organizations such as Do More Ag, Farm Credit Canada has had a big focus on mental health. and others, that awareness is growing, and I've certainly noticed that uh, a change in the trend. When I speak to groups of people, the people are willing to start talking about it, even publicly. Uh, they'll approach me one on one, but even they'll get up during during the session and ask them fairly decent questions, and in regards to their own personal journey and and what they can do to improve that. And I think that's absolutely awesome because because. Uh, that's going to get more people to reach out for that help that's so badly needed,
0: Jerry. Anything else to leave with us here today? No, I would just challenge people if they're interested in in what we're
5: providing, they can go to our website, ManitobaFarmerWellness.ca. Uh, they can get a level of comfort with what they do. They can uh, look at our, the counselors we have. They can look at the bios, and and then they can make that call, and and they connect directly with the counselor and set up and. Nobody else needs to know about it. It's a confidential process, and so I would just challenge people to check into it.
0: That was Jerry Friesen, the CAO of the Manitoba Farmer Wellness Program. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Civita International showcased its food-grade soybeans during some recent crop tours. Here's General Manager Sandy Hart.
4: So what makes food-grade beans different is, uh, first of all, they're non-GMO. They're usually elevated in uh, in protein, and we'll work with various end users through our product development to um, establish the suitability for use and production of different soy foods. So just because a soybean is high-protein and non-GMO does not necessarily mean it's well-suited for making tofu, soy milk, or, or whatever else. So... Basically, they're, they're beans that are going to be welcomed by the, by the consumer to eat and welcomed by the manufacturer because they, they're efficient and easy to use in their manufacturing processes and help them create the
0: product that they want. Hart says Japan is the kingpin of markets for Canadian food-grade soybeans. And making a budget is something many farmers have been avoiding. IntelliFarm president Brian Voss says even though it's unpopular, sitting down and making a budget is important for your farm.
3: Honestly, in the last year, year and a half, you know, we could get away without doing a budget because you basically were in a situation where you couldn't not make money as long as you actually had a crop or some some version of a crop. And the problem is, is this last year and a half or two years is going to have lasting impacts on farms decisions going forward, especially because, you know, with making a lot of money comes upgrading equipment, buying land, et cetera, et cetera. And things like this have trailing effects over the next 5, 10, 15
0: years. Booth says budgets are math and numbers don't lie, and that's how farmers should be making decisions from a marketing perspective. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Programme. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll have another edition of The Bean Report. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.